There on the internet, I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Big shout out to any of the fellas that may be listening today. Uh, if you are a fella, you know who you are. There's a great story to be told about the cyber war in Ukraine. It's underreported and little understood. But just as the resilience of Ukraine's kinetic defense is grinding against Russia, so too is its war in cyberspace. Just funny, because Russia's supposed to be good at this. At least, that's what we all used to think. Hell, Maybe even it used to be true, but now a team of volunteer hackers called the Ukraine IT Army is defending Kiev and striking back against Moscow. With me today to walk through all of this is Motherboard staff writer Lorenzo Franceschi Bigarai. He's written two pieces on the subject. They're both up on Motherboard now. First is Inside Ukraine's Decentralized Cyber Army, and the other is Russia released a Ukrainian app for hacking Russia that was actually malware. Lorenzo, thank you so much for coming onto Cyber and once again walking us through a complicated topic. Thanks, Matt. Excited to be here again. All right. Well, I like to get started with the basics. So, what exactly, when we say cyber war, what do we mean? So, people have usually been pretty reluctant to use the term cyber war, and I was one of them. I think it was often. Um, used in the wrong situations. Uh, it led to hyperbole and uh, just bad hot takes. But, you know, in this case, Russia and Ukraine are fighting on the ground. There is an actual war happening. And if there's any fight in cyberspace, then I think it's fair to call it a cyber war. There is an actual war, and it is fought also on the Internet. Um, we have seen some some signs of Russian activity. We have seen some signs of, of Ukrainian activity. And uh, and it's also important to to note that there's probably a lot we're not seeing. There's probably a lot happening that we're not seeing, and you know there is a cyber war going on for sure. All right. So who or what is this Ukraine IT Army? They've got another name, right? Yeah, the IT Army of Ukraine. It's a, a loosely it's a loose activist type volunteer group of hackers and technologies. That was launched by the Minister of uh, Digital Transformation of the Ukraine government the day after the invasion. Uh, He tweeted out and posted on Telegram a call for volunteers to join this, uh, what he called an IT army. Uh, He said that their mission would be to, like, attack Russian websites and Russian services. Um, You know, I think at the time people were a little bit skeptical of it, um, but it turns out it got a lot of uh, a lot of support. Their official Telegram channel has two hundred fifty thousand people on it. It used to have more than that, even around three hundred thousand. Obviously, they're not all active. Uh, they also have um, smaller groups where they coordinate uh, operations, and they are really active every day. The Telegram group, um, the administrators post a list of targets. It's usually relatively long, like a dozen websites or so, or a few different IP addresses for the same website to sort of ensure that um, the attacks hit well. 
And uh, yeah, so every day these uh, guys are launching distributed denial of service attacks, also known as DDoS. And sometimes they're getting some they're getting some victories. Right. Yeah. Tell me about this first big hack that we can kind of attribute to them that you kind of opened the piece with. Yeah. So it's not their first, but it's their biggest one. Their first um, in their first post back in the day, they listed a bunch of websites, including Gazprom and other Russian uh, industries, even Yandex. Um, but their biggest claim to fame is probably the hack on RootTube. Root which is Russia's answer to YouTube. It's a Russian streaming service. It uh, In May, it went down for three whole days, which is an insanely large, it's certainly long amount of time for, for a website, especially a streaming service. Um, and afterwards, the IT army came out with a statement claiming that they were behind the attack. They said that they, it wasn't even just the DDoS. Uh, they were able to also... Uh, steal passwords um, and uh, even change the lo- delete internal data and even change like the employees' access cards, locking some people inside the server rooms. We don't know if uh, all this actually happened. The website definitely was down, and um, you know, RootTube never said that it was the IT army, and you know, probably they wouldn't have said it even if they knew or if the, or if it actually was the IT army, not to you know, sort of to de- deny them a victory, but it looks like it could have been them. Yeah, it's funny with so much of this stuff. I remember that happening in the early days of the war. We were writing about a lot about it then. I think we wrote about that site going down and a couple of other sites going down. And this is one of those places where, even more so than regular war, we really won't know exactly what happened, who was involved and how it all went down probably for years, right? Was that kind of a challenge in your reporting? Yeah, I think we have seen some stuff happening. There have been, Russia has launched uh, like a three or four wipers. Uh, wipers are malware that are, that are that is designed to de- destruct, to destroy, uh, rather, to destroy data and turn computers uh, useless. Uh, their probably their biggest win was hacking a, an American satellite internet provider company, um, causing some disruptions in Europe. Um, that was attributed by the UK and US governments and European governments as well. The Russian government. Um, I think we have seen a little bit of some operations uh, linked to actual on the ground operations, but yeah, you know, God knows how, how much. Uh, God knows what else is, is going on. Ukraine often comes out with press releases um, detailing phishing attacks and other cyber cyber attacks and operations. Uh, there was one where they claimed to have stopped an attempt to turn off the electrical grid, like Russia did a few years ago in Ukraine. It turned out uh, the MIT Technology Review later recorded that actually there was an in, uh, like a confidential document going around. Um, inside the U.S. and Ukrainian government saying that actually the attack was not completely unsuccessful. So that was a little bit strange. Uh, But yeah, there's been a lot going on. We don't really know what Ukraine is doing on the government side. Um, But the the IT army has been very, very active. 
All right, can we talk a little bit about what we know about how it's organized? Because I found this pretty fascinating. Because other countries have these kinds of initiatives, right? The DOD has cyber soldiers, quote unquote. But a lot of that stuff is pretty top down. Um, the IT army is not. How is it structured? Yeah, it, it's it's hard to tell exactly from the outside, but you know, there's that Telegram channel that um, is not op- you can you can join it, but nobody can chat other than the IT army. So it's basically uh, you know a stream of announcements and uh, messages to everyone. There are smaller groups. Uh, there are um, private. Those are probably the uh, the leaders of the group, or the the most active ones, at least the, the ones that organize and manage the the operations. And um, you know, it's 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 probably like people coming in and out. Um, it's people that you know didn't want to join the the war on the ground, but still wanted to help. And it's also people from the outside, you know, uh, foreigners that just want to help Ukraine or want to go against Russia. Do they have what? What's I know you kind of talked about it here at the beginning, but what is the connection to the Ukrainian government? The connection is the the formation of the group. The formation of the group was announced by Mikhailo Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation uh, in Ukraine, on February twenty sixth. It was the twenty five, as I said earlier. Two days after the invasion began. He tweeted, quote, we are creating an IT army. We need digital talents. Operational, all operational tasks will be given here. And he tweeted out a Telegram link, which actually was misspelled. <clears throat> Eventually, they, they created one with the right spelling. Um, and, um, you know, he said, we continue to fight on the cyber front. The first task is on the channel for cyber specialists. And this was incredibly uh, successful. It was a great successful call got a lot of, you know, got thousands of retweets. Uh, It was also posted on some Ukrainian government Telegram channels. And eventually a lot of people, a lot of people joined. Um, Also on the organizational side, I forgot to say that it's interesting that, uh, you know, despite being very public and, uh, you know, very vocal on their Telegram channel, they actually haven't released a lot of interviews and they they don't really talk to the press very much. I think... um, I think they've learned that there isn't really much to gain from that, especially talk about operations, and uh, they let their announcements speak, announcements speak for themselves. Right. I've actually got it pulled up right now because I've been following them for a while. I think they sent out some pressers in the very, very, very early days, and that got me onto the Telegram channel. Uh, it's about 244,000 subscribers right now. And the most recent thing is about an initiative to prevent Russians from flying drones. Um, and it's got some, some interesting information in there that I won't, that I won't pull up and show the crowd. Uh, so is their work mostly, is it mostly DDoS? And like, why is that so bread and butter to these kinds of operations? It is mostly DDoS, and I think it's bread and butter because it's relatively simple to simple to do. There's a bunch of uh, public tools to do it. They have uh, modified some open source ones for their own um, for their own use. They publish guides on how to do DDoSs. Um, they've also again uh, published tools that are almost like click and play. 
make it easy for everyone to join in and uh, use some of their internet bandwidth to flood Russian websites. And, you know, you would think that this kind of attacks, DDoS attacks, would be less effective these days. Anonymous was doing them in 2011 when they were, like, defending WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. And they were pretty effective, but, you know, that's 11 years ago. Um, But, you know, we're talking about a Russian website. Some of them are not that big. I mean, Rutube is the exception. It's huge. But the IT army is also hacked like a network of pharmacies, um, small small corporations. You know, those may not have the, the right uh, defenses up and can, you know, can be taken down for a little bit with a good DDoS attack. Is there, how do you defend against a DDoS attack? Usually you hire or you pay somebody like Cloudflare or similar companies to sort of deflect the the traffic. Obviously, given the given the sanctions, I suspect that Russian websites cannot use Cloudflare, which is a, an American company, and may have to rely on some other technology. And that that may actually explain why they're not they're sort of struggling against the IT army because they can't actually that would be otherwise be available to other websites outside of Russia. Uh, I've got a comment in the chat that I think is pretty uh, important, actually. Uh, botnets are cool, dot, 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 if you consent to join them, right? Like, there is a danger with this kind of stuff, and we don't know that the U- Ukraine IT army is doing any of this, uh, but it can be pretty easy for your devices to get sucked up into these botnets and be doing DDoS attacks, and you're not even aware, Right. Yeah, historically, that's happened a lot. Um, people, our listeners may remember the Mirai attacks, which used uh, hacked uh, cameras to create a giant botnet. But yeah, it can happen with the, you can get infected with malware and unknowingly uh, the malware uses your computer to launch DDoS attacks as part of a big botnet. All right, so we've got DDoS attacks. Uh, we have them... We have their claims out what they've done with RuTube. What other kind of stuff, what other kind of operations, other tactics have we seen or are we aware of? It's mostly DDoS. Um, they have uh, claimed a lot of victims, including MVideo, a, con- a consumer electronics chain, Kiwi, a popular Russian payment service, Adna, a network of pharmacies, and EGAIS. Um, like a system to for alcohol alcohol accounting information. Um, those are just some examples. Every day they publish a bunch of uh, a list of targets. Interestingly, they are usually civilian. Uh, and one of the one of the members of the IT army that I spoke with said that uh, their goal is to you know disrupt these services as a way to tell Russian citizens. You know, remind them or tell them that there's a war going on and uh, there should be some con- consequences and they should maybe tell the government to stop and they should rise up. Uh, so it's it's really a campaign to raise awareness more than anything else. You know, they, I don't think that the IT army members think that they can weigh the war in any way. It's more like a it's more like an information and awareness um, operation. That's really interesting because I would say that one of the one of the bizarre facets of modern war, if you're a country like the United States or Russia, 
is the ability to keep that war and its prosecution from affecting the daily life of your civilians. Um, so I think that's pretty important to being able to kind of have carte blanche to do what you, what you want to do operationally uh, on the ground. Um, and so the idea that the cyber front could be opened up and become this place where civilians are, are made to feel the war and what's going on, I think is pretty fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. All right, we're going to pause there. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say also the scale of this is uh, is amazing. Um, you know, the cybersecurity experts I spoke with called it one of the biggest, if not the biggest, activist group ever. Um, you know, the tens of thousands of people. Uh, it's just a really large operation. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. If you're watching the Twitch stream, we'll be back immediately. If you're listening to the podcast, please enjoy a few words from our sponsors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome back, cyber listeners. I am Matthew Galt. I'm talking to Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai, and we are talking about the war in Ukraine and the cyber front of it. Um, so one of the things I, th- one of the reasons I thought this story was so fascinating, and it's kind of part of a whole narrative around this war uh, that's been that's been playing out, and I've been really interested in, is this idea that Russia pioneered cyber war in a way Um, I would say that like the first time I remember kind of hearing that term and seeing it, I think adequate, like described in a real way um, was their invasion of Georgia in 2008. Um, Famously along with the ground assault, they there's a massive misinformation campaign and also um, cyber attacks. It's been, it's been a long time since 2008, apparently uh, you know, we we used to think that Russia was really good at this stuff. Why do you think that seems to have changed? Have, is everyone else just caught up? Are they, or is everyone else just wise to what's going on? I mean, I know that's a bit of a speculative question, but you know, you're an informed speculator. Well, I think the the first thing to remember is that Ukraine has been preparing for this for a long time. Um, Russia has been using Ukraine as sort of a testbed for their cyber operations for around eight years, right? Since 2014, when the first, um, you know, the the first signs of conflict uh, really started. Uh, Back in the day, uh, the biggest attacks were against the Ukrainian grid. The Russians were able to actually turn turn off the lights a couple of times in late 2014 and early 2015. Um, So since then, the Ukrainians were, were very aware that they needed to step it up, that they needed to make sure they were ready for this. To, and they just, like, you know, developed uh, their tech um, shops. They got a lot of help from the West. American consultants, European consultants flew in, taught them some uh, some tricks, helped, uh, you know, their technology companies and cybersecurity companies get better and the government get better. 
they have a pretty like competent cybersecurity agency. Uh, and so I think that Russia's just been struggling because the Ukrainians were ready for for it. Um, and it's also possible that yeah, maybe maybe we have overestimated Russia a little bit, right? They have been pretty good in the past with disinformation campaigns, hacks and leaks. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was the Solar Winds hack, which was um, a pretty good hack. But you know, they also make mistakes, and they also they could be you know they can be uh, fought uh, the Ukrainians have, <clears throat> have fought against them pretty well. Can we? Th- that's another kind of aspect of this story too. Is that you know, cyber war is not just being on the offensive, which we've talked about a lot. It's also playing defense. So, what kind of stuff has that we know of? Obviously, uh, has Russia been trying and doing? And what has the IT army said that it's what has it stopped essentially? Yeah, it's unclear if the IT army has any defensive uh, role. It probably doesn't have it unless there is some sort of like secret operations. What Russia has been trying is uh, the usual, the usual stuff. They did try to turn off the lights. Apparently, it didn't work out. Uh, they did send a bunch of uh, destructive malware to some uh, infrastructure companies in Ukraine. I think the hope there was to disrupt their operations and then maybe uh, do an attack on the ground. So, you know, distract them in cyberspace, then attack on the ground, um, you know, sort of help the, the the ground operations. And they have they've had some like some some success, but we haven't really seen uh, a lot of victories on that front for Russia. So this is another uh, this is another apt point from chat uh, that I think is pretty good. And you've kind of we kind of hinted at this earlier. We didn't explicitly state it, but there's a difference between offensive capabilities versus defensive capabilities for private entities, right? So it's important to note, as you did earlier, that a lot of what the IT army has been targeting is civilian infrastructure, right? Like it's not a whole lot of government connected stuff, correct? Yeah, and the member, the IT army member I spoke with actually said that one of the reasons is that the military websites will be better defended. You know, there will be harder targets, so it's more effective to target civilian infrastructure, which could be controversial. We, we may talk about it later, but but yeah, t- uh, targeting civilian infrastructure is really what the IT army does these days. All right. Well, let's get into let's let's get into that. But as a bridge, I want to talk about who is in the IT army. Um, who? How many of the volunteers did you talk to? I understand they're probably cagey. Um, and how? What were they like? Yeah, I spoke to one, and the, the, initially the the challenge was was actually to make sure that I was speaking to somebody that was really in the IT army. Um, found his email address. Um, well, there's one email address that's public on the Telegram channel. So that was, you know, I knew that that was the right email address, but they, they didn't respond immediately. I was able to speak to somebody else using another email address. And when I told them, can you prove that it's really, you know, it's really you, that you really are in the IT Army? Uh, the person said that um, he would um, he would email, he would tell the people behind the official email to reach out. And at that point, they did and just said that, yes, you know, the other email address is connected to us. Um, so that was good confirmation. Uh, but when I said, can I ask more questions? They didn't, they didn't answer. So 
So yeah, they they are a bit cagey, and as as I said, I think it's because they know that there isn't really much uh, for them to say, or there isn't much to gain from giving out interviews. But the member I spoke with made some interesting points. You know, he said that at the beginning it was really a ragtag operation; they didn't know exactly what they were doing. Um, it was something almost unprecedented. You know, a call from a government to form a volunteer group to help. The war, in the war, that was really not something that we've seen before. So a lot of the volunteers uh, didn't know exactly what to do, but they organized pretty quickly. Uh, he also made the point that perhaps the group will disband once the war is over, because you know their their mission is really to to help with the with the war. But we'll see. You know, it's such a large group of people; they have a big platform. I think it's hard to it's actually hard to believe that they will disappear when the war is over. It's a militia, right? Like it's a cyber militia. It's a it's a militia that is operating in cyberspace, but it's still like a militia. It's a group of volunteers that have gathered together for the purpose of adjudicating this 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 pro we're prosecuting this war, right? In cyberspace. Um it's another aspect of the story I found really fascinating. Um, is the ethics around all of this. You know, this is conflict, this is war, but it's a new theater, and all of the rules aren't quite established yet. And, like, I, wars are chaotic and hellish. They're all nightmares. Uh, but we have things called war crimes. Prosecutions often happen after, uh, you know, the wars happen. Like, there are rules and norms that govern war. Is there a similar thing when we're looking at the cyberspace? And what did the IT army have to say about that? Is there a code of ethics? Like what's going on there? There isn't really a code of ethics and they, you know, they publicly stated that they're targeting civilian infrastructure or civilian websites, civilian services like RuTube. Um So, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting uh, mental exercise to think uh, what would we, how would we feel? How, what, how would we respond if it was a Russian volunteer group targeting Ukrainian banks or Ukrainian streaming services or Ukrainian news websites? Would we be okay with that? Would we think that's over the line? Um, it's hard to tell, but so far, nobody in cybersecurity has really criticized the IT army. No one has really uh, said that this is not good, but one of the experts I spoke with, Stefan Sosanto, who um, has followed them since the beginning, did say that there is a risk if the civilian, you know, if the attacks on civilian uh, services continue, there is a risk that maybe, uh, maybe some people will be like, okay, maybe this is not okay, you know, maybe this is not uh, civilian websites should not be part of the cyber war. Well, I mean, we have, it strikes me, though, that we do have, we do have parallels in the West, right? Like you said earlier, was it SolarWinds? We're pretty sure was a Russian hack of civilian uh-huh. infrastructure. Like there's, you know, how were those people connected to, uh, to FSB and like all of that? St- Actually, I don't, do you know the answer to that question? Off the top yeah, of Yeah, it was publicly, it was publicly attributed to Russia. Yeah, I don't remember which, I think it was APT-29. Um, you know, one of the one of the Russian uh, one of the Russian groups. So we've been yeah. we've been kind of lucky in a way that no one 
yet has seen cyber incursions as a, something to be responded to kinetically. Right now, obviously, Ukraine and Russia are already in a kinetic war, uh, but things could feel different even just a few years down the road. Um, we'll see how this ends up playing out. Okay. So, the other story that you uh, talked about was is uh, kind of funny and a little sad. Russia released a Ukrainian app for hacking Russia that was actually malware. Uh, this was an attempt by Russia to find out who some of these uh, hackers are, right? Can you tell us about this app? Yeah, the Russians were smart. You know, they saw there's this uh, volunteer army, there's this volunteer group of people hacking Russian websites. Let's see if we can figure out who they are. They released a fake app, fake Android app on a website that were purported to be affiliated with the Azov Regiment, which is a far-right neo-Nazi group that has been fighting um, for Ukraine against Russia. And the website essentially said, you know, join in the struggle, uh, join our group. You can help help fight the war in Ukraine with your computer and this app. And the app was supposed to launch the DDoS attacks, so very much like the IT army. You know, that was the idea. Try to Try to trick people, the same people that go to the IT army and help the IT army maybe would fall for this. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, it was just very similar to the IT army call for arms. You know, it was like, join this group, we'll do DDoS, and uh, you'll help with the war. Uh, but it turns out that actually it was developed by a Russian hacker group known as Turla. And uh, the goal, you know, the app didn't launch any, any actual DDoS attacks but it did collect some information about the people running it. And it was Google that discovered this. They found the app and they attributed it to this Russian government group. And um, luckily, according to Google, the operation wasn't very successful. The, they only saw, quote, minuscule number of, um, of installs. But as a, as the head of uh, the Google research group that I spoke with, his name is Shane Huntley, he made the point that yeah, you know, even if this wasn't successful, it was still a very smart, very smart attack and uh, kind of a novel, novel way to to do cyber war. I think it. I, I found it. Okay, let me ask you this: Why do you think it failed so badly? I think uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't on the Google Play Store. Probably because it wouldn't have a, it wouldn't have a past um, past uh, the review that uh, apps have to go through, and uh, it may have been hard to distribute, you know, to sort of like reach a, a wide audience with just a website. Um, presumably, they they posted on some Telegram groups, um, but yeah, it's 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 actually it's interesting that it wasn't that that it was uh, that it was so unsuccessful because you know it was relatively credible. I think there is a lot of appetite for people on the internet to try to do something to help Ukraine. So uh, you you would think that maybe they would fall for this, but uh, they didn't. I think I think it's darkly funny that they branded it after the Azov Battalion, which, as you said, is like a far right neo Nazi uh, militia group that's that's part of uh, uh, Ukrainian national. Ukrainian guard, if I remember correctly, if I'm remembering my specifics correctly, but it's also like, it's, 
a constant punching bag and talking point in Russian media. Um, and the Azov Battalion, compared to all of the other groups fighting in Ukraine, is like pretty small, small, small fish. Um, also, Europe, Eastern Europe in general has like a far right fascist salad thing going on. Azov Battalion is certainly not the only group. Uh, but if I were Russians, design like if I were a Ukrainian. Uh, and I saw that kind of branding on that kind of app be like, mm, mm. this is like, it's what yeah. Russians think of us kind of thing, you know, right. It's the whole denazification thing. Uh, it's, it's, so it's just bizarre branding. <laughs> so I, I think yeah. that was probably part of it too. I think I agree with your point. Yeah. The branding was just too, too much. You know, maybe some people were like, okay, I don't know about this group. I don't want to be, I don't want to be associated with these uh, Nazis. Um, that that probably explains why it was unsuccessful. I agree. All right, Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai, where do you think the future of this story is going to take us? I think we're going to see more hacks. I think the ITRM is not going to stop, and uh, I think down the line we will uh, find out about some Russian operation. Uh, this is you know, you know we've got the outro music playing, but I just got a question from the chat. I want to throw it throw it in. How is the distribution there? In the Russian context, I mainly hear about Telegram. Is that really the main chat app in Russia? What about Signal, WhatsApp, or others? And what does it look like here in U- uh, look like in Ukraine? Do we know this? Uh, I don't think I, I don't know this. Uh, I think Telegram is just so so everywhere that I think the other apps don't really compare. Telegram is really extremely ubiquitous in this war. It's actually, that, you know what? That's a good piece. We should we should pitch that. It's like why is Telegram the window through which the world is kind of viewing this war? Telegram was already popular in Russia and Eastern Europe before uh, this war started, and I noticed that after the after the war began, like there were just there are probably hundreds of different groups, both Russian and Ukrainian that are using Telegram not only to coordinate and like organize but also to like get messages out there. And I think one of the really important things is that like Facebook, Twitter, a lot of these other sites um you know can be pretty strict about what you put up. And Telegram you could put some pretty horrific things on Telegram. And so it's a war a lot of the footage and content that's being generated is pretty horrific. Um, and so Telegram has kind of become the de facto place where a lot of that stuff gets distributed and a lot of people organize around that stuff. And they know that, like, no one's going to shut them down from Telegram, right? Like, you know, ISIS did a lot of recruiting on in places like Twitter, but then Twitter really pushed back and fought against it. That kind of thing is not going to happen on Telegram, and everyone's pretty comfortable working within that paradigm. Now, I'm pretty sure, like, and it's it's also pseudo public, right? Like, you can like, get into the IT Army's channel, and you may not necessarily be able to talk to them, but you can see like their public announcements, and that can be a view to going into more private conversations with people that may be commenting or that kind of thing. But it's te- Telegram is this kind of fascinating like social media slash messaging app. Um, so I think that that is probably why that specific app is taken off. If that answers yeah. your question, Fraud, yeah. Fred I think Mesa. it's an interesting hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to play the outro music again. Lorenzo Franceschi Bicarai. Thank you so much for coming on to cyber and walking us through this. 
Uh, if you like the show, please follow us on Twitch and you can watch us record it live. Uh, whenever we do that, we're going to do another one on Thursday. I'm going to have Joseph Cox come on and we're going to talk about uh, his weird obsession with not having a phone. We're going to talk about Roblox. We're going to talk about uh, hackers unlocking your your car for you so you can get those heated seats for free and not have to pay that subscription service that's coming down the pipe. Thank you, everyone, who, who stuck around uh, and asked great questions this week. Uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.